KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah. Thursday, Thursday's Shir, the series on redemptive sketches with Harav Moshe Tarigan. One of the great challenges of the process of Geula um, is not only recognizing a partnership with Am Yisrael, with parts of Am Yisrael that are no longer observant in the classic sense and no longer able to worship HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the great values of Harsinai, an issue I discussed in a previous year, but at a less ideological level, at more of an interpersonal level. Partnering with people and respecting them, defending their virtue, loving them rather than assailing their character, or, um, demeaning or degrading, denigrating, Fortunately, there are many voices in Am Yisrael um, which uh, take a very critical, harshly critical view, issuing very, very dismissive statements about Jews that aren't, unfortunately, religious or orthodox in the classic sense, and obviously their lifestyles are lifestyles that we have to very clearly, clearly disagree with and, and disclaim. But in terms of an overarching love for Am Yisrael, it's not necessarily a topic specifically to Geula, the great lover of Am Yisrael, Rebbe Yitzchak Mibardishev, the 19th century Hasidish Rebbe, uh, not really Hasidish Rebbe, but the 19th century Rebbe who was always trying to defend their virtue. But it has particular relevance to the process of Geula. There's a medrash in Shir Hashirim, Shir Hashirim Rabbah in Parsha Aleph, based on the Pasuk in which Am Yisrael, so to speak, says, Al tiruni shani shcharchores. Don't look at my flaws in Tanakh. For better or for worse, being black in shachor is a flaw. White is beautiful, black is unattractive in the biblical context. Of course, it doesn't carry the same political or racial connotations, but in Tanakh, that's the setup. So Am Yisrael pleads with HaKadosh Baruch Hu Al Tiruni Shanish Chacharet Shesh Zavasli HaShamesh and Chazal take this as a reference in Shir Hashirim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself is angry or is enraged by Nevi'im of his who constantly point out or highlight Am Yisrael's flaws its blackness its limitations the Medrash mentions two Nevi'im who are particularly guilty of that, Al Talshain Evid al Adonav, Kurdish Baruch doesn't want its Nevi'im, or his Nevi'im, to, um, to accuse or to, to um, prosecute or indict the virtue of Am Yisrael. So the Medrash cites two Nevi'im, and actually three Nevi'im, but one of them is Moshe Rabbeinu. The first person who was guilty of perhaps harshly accusing or assailing Am Yisrael's integrity and their virtue is Moshe Rabbeinu. The instance which this Medrash cites is a very famous instance, the Achilles heel of Moshe, the, the, the one moment in which Moshe perhaps erred even slightly, where Moshe Rabbeinu hits the rock instead of speaking to the rock and is punished very severely very, very significantly by being banned entry into Eretz Yisrael. So many Mepharshim question, what's the difference between hitting the rock or speaking to the rock? According to this Medrash, 
the the real crime of Moshe Rabbeinu was not his attitude or interaction with the rock, but the attitude and interaction with Am Yisrael. This was the great defender of Am Yisrael, someone who lived selflessly, almost self-annihilating life on behalf of Am Yisrael. And he became slightly angry at their insurrection. Remember, this was the new generation, already is in Parshas Chukah, so Moshe perhaps had certain expectations that history would not repeat itself, that this new generation of pioneers who would enter Eretz Yisrael would be a bit more um, steadfast, a bit more loyal. And when they continued with the same doubt and uncertainty and questioning and suspicion that Moshe had been exposed to, 40 years or 38 years earlier, so he becomes a little bit disappointed and he utters a word which perhaps for us would be acceptable, but for Moshe is completely, completely unacceptable. And according to this Midrash and one or two other Midrashim is the real cause for his downfall and for his very severe penalty. Moshe says, Shimu na hamorim hamin Moshe calls them morim. Moshe calls them rebels and rabble-rousers and and insurrectionists, and this is the same Moshe who in Parashat Kitisa laid his own life on the line so that Am Yisrael would be spared. This is the Moshe Rabbein who davened on behalf of Am Yisrael's rescue time and again. More than his erudition, more than his piety more than his basic kindness and virtue, which is on display in Parsha Shmos, Moshe's primary quality is his commitment to Am Yisrael. And at every point in Moshe's career that his commitment to Am Yisrael surges, his relationship with Kuch is enhanced. One vehicle, one conduit to serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu is through love of Am Yisrael. You love HaKadosh Baruch Hu so deeply that you really are brought to love his children, his people. Sometimes people say they love a Kurdish Baruch Hu, but it may not be a true selfless love. It's a love of self, which is translated into a love of God. The real litmus as to whether the love of a Kurdish Baruch Hu is really deep and, and thoroughgoing is a person's attitude to Am Yisrael. And when Moshe articulates this phrase, which is nightmarish in terms of Moshe's standards and the standards he set until now, Shumunah Hamorim, so Kodesh Baruch Hu decides that Moshe has to be replaced, and at least according to this Medrash, and another Medrash um, in Bamidbar, Bamidbar Rabbah, um, Parshat Tzadik Tes, this is the real reason for Moshe's punishment, because he says, Shimuna Hamorim Hamin Hazel Hazah. And Moshe is the first person. The truth is that Moshe's um I guess we could call it careless. It's hard to call it careless when you're describing Moshe Rabbeinu, but from our standpoint, we could use the word careless. Moshe, already before, well before this event, 40 years earlier, had said certain things, certain phrases, certain nuances about Am Yisrael, which would one day come back to bite him or to haunt him. Um, first of all, Moshe had questioned in Parsha Shmos when HaKadosh Baruch Hu dispatches him to redeem Am Yisrael, so Moshe questions whether they'll really listen to him. Behem loyaminuli. Am Yisrael is too subjugated, they're too defenseless, they're too hopeless to really listen and believe in my message of redemption. So the Torah describes HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivering two signs to Moshe. Presumably these are miracles or signs 
to convince Am Yisrael of Moshe's agency, of Moshe's being dispatched by a Kurdish Baruch Hu. One sign is the water turning into blood. One sign is the staff turning into a snake. A third sign, actually, is Moshe sticking his hand into his shirt and removing it and temporarily experiencing a white tint, which is called saras, mitzaras kashalag. We seem to believe that these are just simply that, signs to impress the people, to perhaps foretell or foreshadow some of the makos, some of the miracles which will be performed through the staff of Moshe Rabbeinu. But this medrash and, and the Rambam, or not this particular medrash in Shir Hashirim, but a different medrash, and the Rambam in one of his famous letters in which he paraphrases some of these midrashim claims that Moshe was actually punished because of this momentary assailing of Am Yisrael's character and their virtue and their ability to believe in Geula, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so disappointed with Moshe that he has to stricken him or strike him with Tsaras, even momentarily. This is a punishment for Moshe Rabbeinu, not just some arbitrary sign to display HaKadosh Baruch Hu's might and Moshe's authority. In fact, there's a beautiful medrash as an anecdote when Miriam has Tsaras, and Miriam's Saras is much more um, infamous and, and, and in many ways nationally known. It gets national air coverage because the entire camp has to wait for her, has to delay their march through the desert in the end of Parshas Baloscha. So the Medrash has Moshe visiting Miriam, sympathizing with Miriam, sort of comforting her by saying, I too had Saras and it will pass. And it's really a testament to the ability to empathize with people, to try to find experiences from your past that may not be exactly identical to the suffering that your friend is enduring, but at least as a reference point for you to somehow taste, even in part, the flavor of their suffering and of their misery, and to give them the sense that this is a shared burden, rather than some weight that they're carrying alone. So Moshe turns to Miriam and says, don't worry, I too had Saras. He really had Saras for the seven days that Miriam received it, but Moshe looks back at this moment as a punishment, not just as the delivery of a sign or an omen. Um, another consequence of Moshe's stating the Hain lo yaminuli as such a verity, as such an obvious reality, the Hain lo yaminuli, Hain means uh, for sure they won't listen to me. So the Medrash Rabbah in Devarim claims that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in sort of an ironic manner, informed Moshe of his imminent passing of his imminent misa, of his imminent p'tira, and of course the consequences of that imminent p'tira that Moshe would not be granted entry into Eretz Yisrael. So Moshe is told, Hain karvu yamecha lamus. And Hashem employs the same term that Moshe employed, challenging or questioning the integrity of Am Yisrael, as if to remind him that Part of Moshe Rabbeinu's punishment, part of his onish, is because of this, again, very slight, very casual, very slight. In our standards, it may not even be considered a sin, but from Moshe Rabbeinu's standpoint, and given the the degree of love that he felt for Am Yisrael and the sinners amongst Am Yisrael, not just Am Yisrael proper, but the entire Knesset Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu's criticism and and slander, again, by his standards, is responsible for Moshe Rabbeinu's um, very, very stiff sentence not entering Eretz Yisrael. Yet a third Medrash comments not on Moshe Rabbeinu's 
employment of the term Marim, and not even on his employment of the term Hain Lo Yaminuli in Parsha Shmos, but an even more stunning error. It's stunning because you would think that Moshe should be given a pass or should be excused for this. In Parsha's Korach, where unimaginably Moshe's authority is being challenged again by Dasa and Aviram, by Korach and Adasa, the 250 cohorts and colleagues of Korach. And Moshe makes every effort to placate, to mollify, to negotiate, and, and they're just obstinate. There's no, there's no leeway. There's no flexibility. So, Moshe uses a term which may be taken as a tease or a taunt. When Dasan and Aviram in Korach rile and incite the mob against Moshe, Bamidbar Perak Tezayin Pasagimel, the Torah writes, Vayikahalu al Moshe v'yala Haron. They gathered, they mobbed Moshe and Aaron. Vayamru alehem, and they challenged them, Rav lochem, too much, you have too much power, too much authority, Kichal ha'ida kulam kidoshim, uvitocham Hashem, the entire people is holy, umadua tisnasu al Hashem. Why do you continue to elevate yourself in sort of a condescending fashion. This was at least the claim of Korach Vadasa. So, a few psukim later, Moshe Rabbeinu in Pasuk Zion agrees to a standoff the next day. There's a challenge. The 250 people will take pans of coals and will attempt to prove their own worthiness. And of course, we know that tragically they were incinerated. So Moshe informs them that the next day, this is a few psukim later, four psukim later, Perak Tezayin, Pasuk Zion, Usinu vohen eish, Moshe says, you shall place a fire. V'simu alehem kitares lefnei Hashem machar. V'haya ish asher yivchar Hashem. God will select hu akadosh. This is all a very respectful and dignified response. We'll follow through on your request. And then the suffix of Moshe's statement is, Rav lachem b'nei levi. It's enough. Stop complaining, stop arguing the members of the tribe of Levi, you'll have your moment to prove your claim. This is unnecessary, because Moshe had already informed them of the next day's pending trial. But not only was it an unnecessary stab or jab, but the term, Rav Lachem B'nei Levi, may at least have been interpreted by some as a taunt, as a mimicking, because they had told Moshe, Rav Lachem Kichal Haida, so Moshe responds, Rav Lachem B'nei Levi. Again, there's nothing uh, glaring, glaring or criminal about this statement, but at least you'd expect someone like Moshe Rabbeinu to deploy greater sensitivity in dealing with this mob and saying things, even though he's under duress and even though his authority is being challenged, Moshe should still maintain his equanimity. And this phrase deviates from that presumed calm of Moshe. It's because Moshe uses the term Rav Lachem B'nei Levi and assails the integrity even of the sinners. So Moshe begins to pray 40 years later, or in Parshas of Eschanan, not 40 years later, Moshe prays for his entry into Eretz Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu halts his tefillah and he says, Rav lecha, al tosef daber elai od badavar hazeh. 
And the Medrash, this is a Medrash in Bamidbar, Perak Yudchas, Parsha Yudchas, namely, the Medrash says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, by employing the term Rav Lecha, reminds Moshe, remember what you told my people. You hit them with a stick. This is the metaphor in the Medrash. Machis Bechutra, over Madim Machis Atlaki. You taunted them or teased them with this term. So there are three moments in Moshe's history that he is held accountable for. And this is Moshe Rabbeinu. Not just the greatest person to ever live, but the greatest defender of Am Yisrael's virtue. But there are three moments in which he's a little critical of Am Yisrael. And in one of those moments, he's, or in, at least in two of those moments, one can claim, when it comes to his treatment of Korach Vadaso, and when it comes to his treatment of the people who are mobbed, mobbed and gathered against HaKadosh Baruch Hu, asking for water, maybe they deserve these statements. He's not assailing innocent people, he's assailing sinners. And yet because he uses these terms, he employs such denigratory and dismissive terminology, all of these contribute in some fashion to Moshe Rabbeinu's replacement and the great tragedy of his being barred entry into Eretz Yisrael. And Moshe is the first example of this medrash, Al Tiruni, the Pasuk in Shir Hashirim, Shani Shcharcharas. The second example is none other than Eliyahu Hanavi. Eliyahu Hanavi um, dragged the prophets of Baal up to Harakarmel and in a very stunning and striking and presumably convincing fashion debunked all of their creed and belief. He afforded them the first opportunity to attempt their successful sacrifices to Baal and after relentless efforts their karbanos failed. And immediately Elio doused his own karbanos in water and within seconds the fire had descended and had accepted Elio's karban, ratifying Elio's belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a monotheistic God. And you'd expect an entire community to be stirred to some sort of awakening, some change. And astonishingly, they're not. People have very elaborate self-defense systems, and they can justify all sorts of events and phenomena and input and the Nevi'a Abala left unmoved, and Eliyahu is furious, and he shrieks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. this is in Melachim Aleph, Perak Yutes, Kano Kinesi, Lashem Elokei Yisrael, Ki Azvu Brischa B'nei Yisrael, and he repeats it twice, Kano Kinesi, Eliyahu appears to be the prototype Kanoi, who fights, who campaigns on behalf of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's honor, and after repeating the statement, Kanoki Nesi, Zakarish Baruch, a very famous passage, tells him that I'm not found in the loud noise and the bright lights and called the Mamadaka. Then, in the end of this discussion, Hashem points out someone standing at the bottom of the mountain. At the bottom of the mountain stands Elisha. And effectively, Zakarish Baruch tells Eliyahu to transfer his cloak, his Adaris, to Elisha. Because Elisha is replacing Eliyahu. Minutes after Eliyahu had attacked the integrity of Am Yisrael, he's replaced. His career ends. In hauntingly similar fashion to the trajectory of Moshe Rabbeinu's career. Two Nevi'im, great lovers of Am Yisrael, great 
of the Hashem, but when they cross that line each in their own way and begin to harshly critique Am Yisrael, I won't even use the word hate, there's no hatred here, but it's language that's offensive to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's children, to his people, so their careers end. And this is the second example cited by the Medrash and Shir HaShirim, the example of Eliyahu. The third example is the example of Yeshaya. Yeshaya in Perak Vav has a very epiphanious vision and he's standing in the Azara, standing in the Mikdash and at one point he utters his inability, his unsuitability to receive HaKadosh Baruch Hu's vision and he says in Yeshaya Perak Vav Ki ish temei svasayim anochi uvitoch am temei svasayim Anochi Yoshev. I am an impure person, which is a very impressive confession of humility. But he broadens this self-effacement by claiming that he's not only impure himself, but he lives amongst impure people. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him, according to the Medrash, you can efface yourself. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu says is unacceptable. So what happens? Immediately, in Yeshaya's vision, an angel, a seraph, takes a coal, and he touches the coal on Yeshaya's lips effectively burning Yeshaya's Lashon Hara and dismissiveness about Am Yisrael burning it off of his lips. And this is an onus, this is a punishment. So Yeshaya doesn't suffer the same degree, the same severity of Moshe and Eliyahu, but he's reminded that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not need Nevi'im to assail Am Yisrael. He requires Nevi'im to protect their virtue and preserve their dignity and to defend their motives and actions and to love them selflessly rather than assailing and attacking. The opposite is also true. HaKadosh Baruch Hu selects Nevi'im, or if not Nevi'im, at least agents, even if they're not worthy, simply because he senses in them the love and a defensive stance and a preservation of Am Yisrael's virtue. And here Chazal provides us with two examples. One is the example of Gidon. Basak in Devarim, the beginning of Shoftim, Shoftim v'shotrim titen lecha b'chol she'arecha, asher Hashem alokecha nosein lecha l'shvatecha, v'shavtu asa'am mishpat tzedek. Typically, this Pasuk refers to the legal context of adjudicating and judging with balance, in a just in a just fashion, v'shavtu asam mishpat tzedek. But the Menish Tanchuma in Shoftim, Simon Dalid, has a very very different view of the connotations of v'shavtu asam mishpat tzedek. The Menish says, sheiyu matin umilamdin aleim schus lefnei Akadosh Baruch Hu. Akadosh Baruch Hu requires and requests 
from his leaders, whether it's judges or prophets, they should look to defend Am Yisrael, attempt to reconcile their behavior, to justify it, to support it, to ratify it, rather than critiquing it and dismissing it. The Medrash continues, who was the prototype of the defender of Am Yisrael's virtue? Migidon ben Yawash. Gidon was one of the shoftim of Sefer shoftim, but certainly not one of the shining figures of Sefer shoftim. Militarily, he was extremely successful, but religiously, Gidon was, according to the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, a leader of Rekim, of empty, vagabond people. But Hakadosh Baruch Hu waited an entire generation for someone to defend Am Yisrael's virtue. And the Medish continues, Kivan Shenimtsas Chus Begidon, HaKadosh Baruch Hu discerned some merit in Gidon, Shalaman Alayim Schus, who defended their virtue, Miyad Nigla Lav HaMalach, the Malach appears to him. And the Medish refers to the sections in Shoftim, Perak Vav, where Gidon complains, so to speak, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, why is Am Yisrael suffering at the hands of Midian and so many other foreign powers? What happened to the Bris? What happened to the Covenant? Instead of just acknowledging, well, they deserve it because they're sinners and whatever comes, they have it coming to them, so to speak. Gidon challenges their Rabbana Shalom and challenges their Rabbana Shalom, of course, not on personal terms, but on behalf of Am Yisrael. And even though when held up to some of the other figures in Sefer Shoftim, Gidon may be a bit deficient in this particular detail defending the virtue of Am Yisrael he is the supreme personality of Sefer Shoftim and probably aside from Shimshon which is a completely different phenomena was probably the most victorious of all the Shoftim throughout Sefer Shoftim through all the leaders and this Medrash in Parsha Shoftim in the Torah Medrash Tanchuma Simen Vav has us believe it's because of this defense of Am Yisrael's virtue. The, uh, the second example is taken from a Yalkut Shimoni in Beis about Yeravam ben Yawash. Previous year I discussed Yeravam ben Yawash. He wasn't just an empty person who hung around with empty people. He was an idolater. He forced others to commit idolatry and paganism. And Yeravam ben Yawash was a king of the northern kingdom of Am Yisrael. And in his era, Am Yisrael experienced significant territorial expansion and military triumph. And the Yalkut Shimoni in Malachim Beis, in Reish Lamid Beis, questions. Wasn't he an idol worshiper? Why was he, uh, why did he merit all these great military accomplishments? Medish described a situation where someone sent uh, very, very um, deprecating statements about Amos and Yeravim refused to listen, refused to accept. So the irony is you've got Moshe, Eliyahu, and Yeshaya, who in all areas are tzaddikim and righteous leaders, and they're punished because of their harshly critical statement about sinners. People who may deserve their critique. And on the flip side, you have Gidon ben Yoash and Yeravam ben Yoash, who are two evildoers. Well, Yeravam certainly is. Gidon is uh, 
and ambivalent. There's a lot of ambivalence about his personality. Because of their staunch commitment to the virtue of Am Yisrael, that's what a true Navi is. Now, this is obviously a, a value independent of the process of Geula, but it has even greater import in the context of Geula, particularly our current Geula, which, as I mentioned earlier, we're partnering with Jews who behave in ways that, let's face it, challenge us and frustrate us and in some cases anger us. And one of the great challenges of Gula, I believe, for the next couple of Doros, for the process of Gula, is to maintain that sense of love and partnership ideologically, as I mentioned in last year, to understand why Akadosh Baruch Hu sends secular Zionism as a movement, but also interpersonally just to have a sense that although history has beaten religion out of most Jews, their belonging to the Jewish experience through a nationalistic call is something which deserves our honor and respect and support. There's a beautiful, beautiful psikta in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a discussion with Mashiach. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Mashiach that I'll only send you um, if you're willing to bear the sins, bear the suffering of the people that you're redeeming. And, of course, Mashiach responds, yes, without question. If I have to suffer, if my coming, if my Mashiach... Obviously, it's a very provocative medrash. It's in Psikta Rabasi, Parsha Lamidvav. But if my arrival demands that I tolerate sinners and perhaps suffer onshim or challenging forms of Geula because of their shortcomings, then it's something which Mashiach gladly accepts. And that can be seen, of course, as a metaphor, that to advance Mashiach, to accelerate Mashiach, to participate in Geula, there's a necessity for a level of tolerance to sinners and to participants in the Geula, in the process of Geula, who may no longer be adherent and committed to mitzvahs in the classic sense.